Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Week two in the Sun Belt continued to build on the early season excitement in the league. The league scored another Power Five win and looked strong across the board on the weekend. James Madison came from behind in Charlottesville. App State lost another classic in Chapel Hill. Marshall in Georgia Southern took care of business against American Athletic Conference foes. Old Dominion picked up their first win in 330 days. And Texas State continued to show that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with this season. Today on episode 114 of the show, it's our second weekend recap of the season. We'll break down the biggest moments from the weekend and take a look at some of the top storylines after two weeks in the league. Caden, we thought we'd see more excitement in week two. We got just that. JMU takes down UVA. App State and UNC was quite the thriller. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. What were your overall thoughts on the weekend for the league? Yeah, I think obviously this wasn't the week two of last season where you saw the impressive upset victories that were so exciting and exhilarating for the conference. But I really still think this is a fantastic and strong showing for the conference just throughout every game. I feel like I tuned in and I was watching a Sunbelt team play. They impressed me even more than when I came into the game. I just feel like it was a ton of improvement. A lot of teams played better competition and answered the bell. So I just think across the board, I just learned that this is a deeper conference than maybe we could have even imagined. We saw one conference matchup go head to head and we saw how much both of those teams exerted and got out of that matchup. And I just can't wait to see more of it because this conference, I think, really showed this weekend how deep it is and how Every team has some players, some sides of the ball, and some weapons that can really do some damage. Well, like we do every Monday, we'll start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard, where we'll review all the results from around the conference in Week 2. Then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at some of the Sunbelt's top games from the weekend. Let's get started with that Troy game at number 15, Kansas State. It was in Manhattan, Kansas. Kansas State, a 16.5-point favorite. They would go on to win this game 42-13 to over the Trojans. Troy trailed 21-10 to at the half. Chris Lewis made some Sports Center worthy catches in this game, but the running game never got going for the Trojans. They fall to 1-1 one one on the season. The big game of the weekend, James Madison versus Virginia in Charlottesville for the first time in 40 years. James Madison, a six-point favorite. They win this one 36-35. They earned their first win over UVA in 41 years. It was the sixth Power 5 upset in the last two years for Sunbelt teams. Tyson Lawton had a huge day, particularly after the weather delay finishes with two touchdowns in the win, and suddenly the Dukes 2-0 on the season. Texas State UTSA in San Antonio in front of the second largest crowd in UTSA history. UTSA was favored. They walked away with a seven-point win, winning 20-13. to Texas State could not keep the magic alive. A defensive slugfest between two high-powered offenses broke out in this game. T.J. Finley was inconsistent at times, and UTSA hung on in the end. Texas State falls to 1-1 one one on the season. Marshall, East Carolina, in Greenville, North Carolina. The herd came in favored. It wasn't pretty, but they were able to pull away late. They trailed 13-10 to heading into the fourth quarter, but then a trick play and a couple of Rasheen Ali touchdowns followed by a Micah Abraham interception, sealed the deal for the Thundering Herd. They picked up their first win in Greenville, North Carolina, ever to improve to 2-0 on the season. South Alabama took on Southeastern Louisiana in Mobile. No line on this one against the FCS opponent. South Alabama wins it 35-17, but it was a slow start for the Jags. They were tied 7-7 at the half, but 
were able to ride a big third quarter to a win. They ran for 248 yards in the win. Kendrell Bullock, LaDamian Webb, Marco Lee all had touchdowns. Colin Lacey, a big performance, 139 yards and a touchdown in the win. South Alabama picks up a win after losing to Tulane in week one. They'll head into week three, one and one. App State UNC, it was an instant classic in Chapel Hill. UNC was the heavy favorite. They would walk away with a 40 to 34 win in double overtime. This will be the final meeting in the current series. It ends two wins, North Carolina, one win, App State, but every game was a thriller. Joey Aguilar outplayed Drake May in this game. Michael Hughes sends it to overtime with a clutch field goal. UNC missed a big field goal. Drake May ultimately, though, too much for the Mountaineers. He comes through on a rushing touchdown in double overtime to seal the victory. App State falls to 1-1 one one on the season. In Statesboro, Georgia Southern versus UAB, Sunbelt versus American Athletic Conference. Georgia Southern was favored. They walked away with a 49-35 win to improve to 2-0 on the season. The two teams combining for over 900 yards of total offense in the contest. 34 second half points between the two squads. Davis Brin had a huge day and Caleb Hood became the program's all-time leading receiver. The defense bent but didn't break as Georgia Southern improves to 2-0 on the season. Up next, it was Old Dominion versus Louisiana and Norfolk. Virginia, Louisiana was favored, but they ended up losing this game. It was the first conference game of the year in the Sun Belt, and ODU walked away with their first win in 330 days. Grant Wilson finished with five total touchdowns, four through the air, another on the ground. Ben Wooldridge did his best job to match him, but it wasn't enough. Old Dominion improves to 1-1 one one on the season. Louisiana falls to 1-1. One one. Coastal Carolina, Jacksonville State in Conway, South Carolina. Coastal a 13.5-point favorite. They struggled early on in this game. They led 10-9 at the half, but used a big third quarter to come away with the win. Jared Brown, a huge day, 170 total yards of offense, two touchdowns in Tim Beck's first win at the helm of this Chanticleers program. Coastal Carolina moving into week three at 2-0. Georgia State had a nice bounce-back performance. They had to face a tough UConn opponent in Atlanta. They were favored in this game, but they pulled away late, or really, they led the entire way in this one. They win it 35-14. to 14. Another big offensive performance from this side, and they got a nice bounce-back win. Darren Granger, huge showing. Marcus Carroll, another three touchdowns. Arkansas State, Memphis, another dud for the Red Wolves. They scored just three points. They've scored now three points in just eight quarters of football this year. Arkansas State's offense used three quarterbacks as they continue to search for answers in this game. They're now 0-2 heading into week three. ULM Lamar, ULM moves to 2-0 on the season. Isaiah Woolard, Hunter Smith led the charge. ULM rushed for 285 yards on the ground in the win. They outscored Lamar, for, or were outscored 14-3 in that fourth quarter to make it closer, but ultimately able to come away with the win. Last game of the day, Southern Miss traveling to number four, Florida State in Tallahassee. FSU heavy favorite, and they walked away with a huge win, a 53-point win over Southern Miss. Southern Miss gives up 14 or more points in all four quarters of this game. The offense never got going. Frank Gore ran for just 31 yards, and the defense could not hold down this high-powered FSU offense as Southern Miss falls to 1-1 one one on the season. 
Couple of quick notes about the weekend. The Sun Belt extended their group of five best win streak over FCS opponents to 26. They're now 10-0 on the season. James Madison picked up the Power 5 win over Virginia. It was the league's sixth in the last two seasons, second of the year. Texas State also beat Baylor, you may remember, in week one. And finally, Sunbelt teams that were favored or played FCS opponents this weekend went a combined 6-1. and one. The only loss was to Louisiana. So, Caden, okay, let's talk some football here. It was an exciting week in the conference. A lot of big games. We got some upsets, got some thrillers, and... There's no better place, Caden, to start than with the big storyline of the weekend, and that was James Madison's win over Virginia. They win that game 36-35 to in Charlottesville. Caden, this was the first meeting between these two programs since 1983. It was an emotional day in Charlottesville as they honored the lives of the three members of the Virginia football team that passed away tragically last year. The win for James Madison evens the all-time series at 2-2. Two and two. And they had to overcome an 11-point deficit after that weather delay. Caden, they score 12 unanswered points in that fourth quarter. Tyson Lawton has a touchdown. Kalen Black has a receiving touchdown with 55 seconds remaining. But Caden, let's talk about this offense. Because at times in this game, it felt like JMU was a little Jekyll and Hyde. You have that great start to the game. The Sproles touchdown, the punt block. Then you get outscored 28-7 to in that second and third quarter. You have that big run at the end of the game. McLeod has an okay day, but I really felt like the running backs played well. What were your overall takeaways of this football game for James Madison? Yeah, a great win for them, but just one that they definitely stole. I feel like throughout the game, I felt like Virginia was outplaying this team. They were obviously playing very expired, very emotional, very physical brand of football. And I especially think on the offensive side of the ball, you see Jordan McLeod in the offense just looked shaky throughout. That first drive looked amazing regarding the play calling, the balance. They had the fake um, trick play to score and get some things going for their offense. They had a blocked punt in the next drive, and then they had a field goal drive after that. But then after that, the offense looked really stagnant. I just feel like McLeod didn't necessarily have that chemistry with his receivers. They weren't really helping him out either and making a ton of plays. And he just didn't seem to really get into the rhythm and was playing a little bit more conservative than we saw him last week, maybe playing more aggressive and maybe more willing to take shots downfield against a lesser opponent. But I think in this one, I think Tyson Lawton was just the savior of this offense. I think he injected something into the arm of this team and this offense that I think if he wasn't in this game, I think they might lose without him. I mean, four minutes left in the third quarter. He has a big run. He punches in a score. And then after that break, when they took that rain delay, they came back and he just looked like he was on another level. He led that. He guided that offense again. You saw Palmer and Black couldn't really rip off explosive runs and really be as physically as posing as Lawton was in this game. But he was so huge. And I think He's what really propelled this team moving forward. But I think on the offensive side of the ball, you do have to have some worries if you're a James Madison fan. When you have some stagnant running, when you're not having explosive plays and you kind of get in that rut, you don't have a Todd Santeo anymore who can make these dazzling plays and kind of create his own offense. It sounds like they're going to have some questions at the quarterback position. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe at times McLeod and Alonzo Barnett and some of these other guys maybe even rotate in because I think it's clear that the formula of this team right now is going to have to rely on that run game and the defense. So I think at the quarterback position and it's just as far as it goes running an efficient offense, I do have some concerns, but I think the will and the just the ability to show a championship level of fight in this game was huge for this offense, and it was obviously resulting in a huge win for this team. Yeah, Caden, to your point, I don't think the receivers helped out McLeod a ton. They caught just 62% of the passes when they were targeted. There were you know several drops in there, but I think to your point, this running game is starting to show itself as something that's going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. We expected to see Latrell Palmer, Kalon Black, and now Tyson Lawton. You've got a three-headed monster that's forming 
uh, for that James Madison attack. But, Kane, to your point, there was some up and down on that offense today, and I certainly think that needs to be cleaned up. Funny moment in the post-game press conference. Someone asked about that fourth down opportunity that uh, Kurt Signetti chose to go for. He said that was a bad coaching decision, uh, and basically that was all he was willing to talk about. But, Kane, let's talk about the defensive side of the football because, once again, James Madison proved that the defense is going to be a large part of their winning formula. The one thing that they did really well in this game, Caden, they made Virginia a one-dimensional football team. Yes, the freshmen, uh, you know, gashed them through the air at quarterback, but you give up just 18 rushing yards, although they did give up three rushing touchdowns. But this JMU defense is clearly proving that, once again, they are going to be a huge part of that winning formula. Yeah, they did their thing per usual as far as being able to stop the run, but you have to give some credit to the freshman quarterback, like you mentioned. Anthony Cal. Caladera played a fantastic game, his first game ever for this team, for this program at the college level. He was fearless, he was efficient, and he really capitalized in the passing game as far as some great play calling and really making some of his own luck and giving his wideouts some opportunities to make their own plays, some contested catches, some 50-50 balls. I think he outplayed the quarterback on the other side for him uh, in Jordan McLeod in this game, and I think the fact that this team was still able to overcome it and get a win just shows you how strong this defense played, and really just this whole team in the second half when they came from that break. But I think, look, in this game, James Madison's defense, they didn't look as dominant as we're used to seeing, and they struggled to stop some explosive plays, whether that was a scheme thing, whether that was just some battles on the outside that some of their defensive backs lost to some elite Power 5 receivers. I still think it's nothing to worry about. I think we still saw flashes of this defense and their greatness and what they do. You saw that in their run stopping throughout. You saw Francis Meehan get that great interception. They had numerous sacks. I think their defensive front is looking a little bit more dangerous in the pass rushing department than they did last year, which is horrifying for some offenses. But I think, like we mentioned before, it's looking like they might have to lean on this unit a little bit more going forward. And I do think that just the perfect timing of this game, I think this defense played its best ball at the end. I think the offense played its best ball at the end. And as a result, they were able to steal this win on the road. But moving forward, I think if they cover more of those bases, we'll get back to seeing kind of this more complete James Madison team that we saw in the past. Hey, Jalen Walker was seen on the sidelines in a sling. That could be a huge loss uh, for James Madison in that linebacking core. Caden, you win this game for JMU. You improved it 2-0. Obviously, there's things that they're still working on. But real quickly, just looking ahead, Next weekend, you're traveling to face Troy, a Trojans team that's 1-1 one one, coming off of that loss to Kansas State uh, in their contest over the weekend. What has you excited about that matchup, just real quick? Both defenses. I mean, we saw some great stuff from Troy's defense against Kansas State. They were obviously a team that was outmatched, but we know that Troy defense still has its pedigree. And like I mentioned before, it's looking like this James Madison defense is also going to have to uphold that pedigree and continue to play at that level for this team to win. Very excited to see a good defensive battle and see how these quarterbacks duke it out. One with a lot of question marks and one with a lot less than Gunnar Watson. Hey, big time collision coming next week as two of the top teams in the Sun Belt meet in Troy, Alabama. Okay, let's move on to our second matchup that we're going to talk about on this episode. And we had to talk App State, North Carolina, Kate. And I know this one was a bit of a heartbreaker. You and I went through a roller coaster of emotions. I remember, you know, you telling me that I think you dropped to your knees uh, when that first field goal attempt missed that the timeout was called on. Uh, but this was a great game. It concluded a three-game series uh, between these two programs. The final record, one and two for App State in those games. But Caden, Three classics. We saw the win in 2019 that you were a part of, the 63-61 to game uh, last year, and then obviously a close double overtime game this season. What were your just overall takeaways from this App State-North Carolina series over the last several years? 
Well, one of my biggest takeaways was after the game, Mac Brown said that he's glad he does not have to play this App State team anymore because they've definitely been giving him headaches over the last couple of years. But no, I think it's like we mentioned before, just the in-state rivalries, whether it's Power 5, Group of 5, you always love to see it. This is when we definitely got every single drop of action out of possible I think you could get. And I'm just really proud of this App State team for rising to the occasion, rising to the challenge yet again. I was doubting them. A lot of people were doubting them just based off their week one performance and the week one performance of their opponent in this matchup. And I'm just proud that they still show they have that fire in their gut. They can still rise to the occasion and still play a great brand of football against the top competition in the nation. It's something that this team has maintained no matter what their record's been any year. They've proven every year that they can hang with those top dogs. I think a lot of teams in the conference have done that as well. So just really proud of this App State team. And I think their fan base as a whole has a lot to be optimistic about, despite not getting the outcome they wanted to in this game. Yeah, some great points you're making right there, Kane. We'll talk some big picture about App State at the end of kind of this preview. But let's start with this football game by talking about Joey Aguilar. He puts together another masterful performance in this game, 275 yards through the air, two touchdowns. Also runs for 42 yards. Kane Drake May on the other side did not have his best game. It was just the third game of his career where he did not throw a touchdown pass. Did make some big plays with his legs, though, at the end of the game that ultimately led probably to North Carolina winning this contest. Kane, it feels like it's safe to say Joey Aguilar just outdueled Drake May. And it's tough to see a path where Ryan Berger's the starting quarterback for this App State team the rest of the year. Yeah, you definitely love to see your quarterback play better than one of the quarterbacks that is going to make a lot of money and be one of the top three, two picks in the upcoming draft. It was great to see Joey. And I think, like I talked about before, the optimism, despite the loss, it all starts and ends, I think, with Joey Aguilar. I think he starts for the rest of the season for App, the way he played in that moment. His poise was out the roof. He looked like a veteran that's been in this offense for a very long time. He delivered accurate balls. He made all the right decisions, except for that one interception that was tough. But he was fearless in the explosive downfield passing game as well. And I think if this team plans on being in more big moment games, the moment's not going to get much bigger than this one. This was a huge moment he rose to that occasion. If they want to be in those games where those they have those must-win games on the east side of this conference, if they want to be in the championship game, you have to put this guy in those moments because he's proven he could rise to the occasion. He showed he's fearless. There's no decline in his game from a JUCO level to the Power 5 level. So you just have to be proud of what he put on for this performance. I think he definitely proved, unless he shows any kind of decline, he's going to be the quarterback of this team. He has the NFL-style arm. He has the size to take some of those hits. We saw him take some shots and use his mobility in this game, really spread the ball around. I think moving forward with this team, unless he shows some kind of decline, he's going to be the starter for the rest of the season for App State. Kane, 219 yards on the ground for the Mountaineers, 275 yards to nine different receivers. Uh, you had to be pleased with Frank Ponce and his ability to orchestrate this offense. It looked as good as some of the offenses that we've seen for App State in the past. Yeah, and I know we talked about in the preview episode how important the defensive scheme and the game plan would be heading into this game facing a Drake May, but the offensive scheme as well, when you want to pull off those upset wins, if you want to be in tight competition with the top level teams in the country, you have to have a solid game plan on both sides of the ball. And I love the offensive game plan we saw from Coach Pons. He used a ton of different motion and diversion and different ways to get Aguilar the ball out of his hands very fast, which was the most important and biggest key of this game because we know how nasty that pass rush is. So the fact that he was able to come out of this game without getting sacked, super impressive. A lot of those motions as well really helped the running backs get in space. I know I was worried before the game about the size of the running backs, but Noel and Haywood put on a clinic. They were able to get into the second and third level of the defenses. They were very consistent running the ball, and a lot of that has to do with Coach Pont. So I think at, his, at the peak of his powers, Coach Pont's playing this defense that showed they were a top-level defense 
last week in the country. Have to be pleased, have to be optimistic, and knowing that going forward, you're going to play lesser competition. Very excited to see the evolution and growth of this side of the ball, for sure, with Frank Potts at the helm calling the plays. Yeah, certainly worth reminding our listeners that this is a North Carolina team. Nine sacks against an SEC offensive line last weekend in Charlotte. That was against Spencer Rattler, uh, who is an early Heisman candidate, uh, many people have said. Caden, switching sides of the football, this defense probably put together one of the best performances that they have had in maybe a year. I think they played really good football here. The scoreline obviously escalated in overtime, but they were swarming to the football, two sacks, six TFLs. You had to be pleased with how App State played against this dynamic North Carolina offense. Yeah, if you would have told me before this game that Drake May was just going to throw for 200 yards and zero touchdown passes, I would not have believed you. And I would have definitely said the App State won this game. So you have to commend and take your hat off to this App State defense for showing a ton of improvement from week one. Some of those deficiencies they had in week one, none of them showed in this game really. And when they did, it was against a good opponent. It was a good against a good competition. So you can't really fault them for it. But they got pressure on Drake May at times. The defensive packs really defensive backs really limited his deep passing ability to make him kind of dink and dunk and throw some stuff down low to his underneath receivers. And they didn't really let all those paper cuts beat them. He had some big moments with his legs, but I think as far as limiting one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, this defense did as great as you could. The bad news is that this app state defense could not stop the run at all. I mean, Amari and Hampton had an amazing game ran for 234. This team's 319 yards on the ground. I'm a little bit worried about apps ability to stop the run going forward but i also think from a scheme standpoint if you're playing a quarterback like drake may you're kind of willing to take a little bit of a loss in the run game if it means he's not beating you deep like he beats most teams with these deep explosive shots downfield that rack up points in a long time in a quick amount of time that can really prolong the game and i think hampton was a giant back that was falling forward a ton and was getting a ton of chunk yardage and i think the chances of app state playing a running back like that and a top quarterback like drake may again are going to be very small so i think this defense given the task at hand, did a great job. They couldn't stop the run, but I think going forward, they're not going to be really put in those situations anymore, and I think they showed a ton of improvement, just like the offense from week one to week two. Caden, last year, and real quickly here, you think back, this App State team, they take down Texas A&M, and some have said they ate that cheese, and ultimately, we saw how the season went. This year, you lose this week two game. Should Sunbelt teams be a little bit concerned now that this is an App State team that could really make noise in the East this year? They should definitely be concerned. I remember last year we talked about a lot of the distractions early on in the season, whether it was the explosive game against UNC that was a ton of points, the Texas A&M upset, the Troy win that could have been very much should have been a loss on that Hail Mary. There was a lot of things that were surrounding this team and distracting. And I think now that they've lost this game, they had to take it on the chin and they saw how good they can play. I think this team really is starting to get an early understanding of what they're capable of. And other teams in the East should definitely be scared because I think if this team, from what we saw from Aguilar on this defense, if they play to the peak of their powers, we know they can play with UNC. That means they can play with just about anyone in the conference. So I would definitely be on the lookout for this team rising and getting back in that championship conversation this season. Well, this App State team, they will take on East Carolina in front of what will be a ruckus capacity crowd in Boone, North Carolina. East Carolina coming into that matchup 0-2. We're going to talk about their loss to Marshall in a few moments, but they've scored just 16 offensive points through eight quarters of football so far this year. So certainly an opportunity for App State perhaps to get back into the winner's circle. Caden, Georgia Southern, UAB, this one, I called it, uh, you know, the Statesboro shootout because Georgia Southern puts 49 points on the scoreboard. UAB not far behind at 35, saw 939 yards of total offense, 34 second half points between these two sides. 
One quick note here, a friend of the podcast, Caleb Hood, became the program's all-time leading receiver with 1,859 career yards in this game. Caden, we've got to talk about this Georgia Southern offense. We've been doing it for two seasons, but man, we expected Davis Brin to step into that role that Kyle Van Treese left in the offseason. He's certainly done that, and this Georgia Southern offense is looking dangerous, and it feels like Davis Brin is starting to develop a number one target as well. Yeah, this is a well-oiled offensive machine, and it prevailed in this one. I mean, Davis Brin did not skip a beat and proved definitely that he can still run this scheme effectively even if he's not going against and lining up across from the Citadel. I think it was great to see him do this against a UAB team that does have a lot of talent, and he was still able to perform at that high level and that high efficiency we expect to see from his offense. You mentioned it, though. I think Duran Burgess might be this guy's favorite target. We know Caleb Hood broke the record in this game. He's a friend of the podcast. He rightfully so took that spotlight last season as that number one guy. But I think Bryn has a different level of chemistry with Burgess that I love to see. And it's just great to see because I know Derwin's a guy we obviously left off our top 10 list. A lot of people were telling us we made a mistake with that. We hear about a lot of the hype surrounding Derwin. So I'm very excited to see him maybe get some more of that spotlight this year with a quarterback that's maybe willing to give him some more touches than the last quarterback was. I think it was a solid game out of OJ Arnold and Jalen White. I think this team has proven no matter how little or how much their running backs touch the ball, when they get in the red zone, they're going to be able to punch it in and they're even going to be able to create their own explosive plays when the boxes are light and they have to defend all those wide receivers outside of there. I think the only thing I could even nitpick about this offensive performance is some of the turnovers. They obviously had one interception in this game, which are just used to seeing from a quarterback in this system that throws the ball over 40 times. They had one fumble, but you have to also give a shout out to that offensive line doing what they did a lot of last season, which is keep the quarterback's jersey clean, allowed zero sacks in this one. This offense is super scary, and I think how scary they can be to another team is all dependent on this defense we're about to talk about here. Yeah, Caden, you mentioned it. Let's talk about this defense because obviously we saw them pitch the shutout in week one. Well documented who they played. The Citadel, not a great football team. This was always going to be an interesting test because it was a team that played a similar style of offense. So I'm not necessarily sure it's a great measuring stick for this Georgia Southern side, but you give up 477 yards. You do do a nice job against the run. You give up just 92 to UAB, but 385 yards through the air, 8 of 13 on third downs. When you're looking at this Georgia Southern defense, Caden, do you feel like they've improved from last year? I think they've improved in certain areas that we've seen early in the season, but I definitely still have questions. You mentioned it. This is a very hard measuring stick because of the team they're playing this week and how different it was than last week. So we definitely need to see something in between as far as their ability to stop a more balanced offensive attack that they're going to see probably more in the sun. But I think they show improvements in moments and some key moments. You talk about some of their big fourth down stops they had. You talk about their offense or their defense, rather, being able to have some turnovers in this game. They had three turnovers, which was huge. They stopped the run well, but they also had some of those glaring issues we saw last year. Could not get off the field in third down. They went eight for 13 in third down in this game. Still gave up a ton of points, a ton of yards, and they have some big plays that they gave up as well, especially at the end of the game where it just seemed like some lapses in focus and some mental things. So regardless, this was a great shootout. I think the defense looked a little bit more built and ready for a shootout performance because they're probably going to get in more of these this year. But I am curious to watch the trajectory and the growth and see how much better they play because if these two sides of the ball can combine and this defense can just get a little bit better to the point where this offense is just blowing teams out and we see some blowouts, then they have a ton of potential. I think it's all going to come down to how close they can keep these games versus how far they can keep them. Caden, is this a serious team in the East? Do you think they're going to be competing for that title in the Sunbelt East this year? 
Absolutely. I think they're definitely a competitor. And I think there's no defense in the East that is ever looking forward to this game. They know that there's going to be a lot on their plate when they play Georgia Southern, and they're really probably more worried about if their offense can keep up. So I think just the pressure that their offense allows alone, there's not not many quarterbacks in this conference are going to be able to throw 40, 50 balls and score this many points. So I think that alone is going to give them a leg up and kind of a sense of fear. And we've talked about before on this program how great they are at home. So yes, if you have to come to Statesboro and you have to outscore this team, I think it's going to be very hard for anyone in the East. Georgia Southern heads to Wisconsin, where they will face the one-and-one Badgers in Madison next weekend. Wisconsin coming off of an upset loss to Washington State today. Uh, Georgia Southern will be eyeing their second straight Big Ten upset after beating a team last year, uh, Nebraska, who lost to Colorado today. Kane, let's move on to our fourth matchup that we want to spend some time on on this episode. It's Marshall versus East Carolina. Kane, this is interesting. These two programs forever tied together. You think back to the tragic loss, the plane crash back in the day. It was actually coming home from an East Carolina game. There was a slight ceremony before this game. Kane, this was Marshall's first ever win over East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina. They snapped a seven-game losing streak at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. They trailed 13-10 heading into the fourth quarter, but able to come back and win this one 31-13. Caden, for the second straight week, we talked about what we are starting to see as an identity forming for this Marshall football team, a team that's going to do things well throughout the game. They're going to grind down their opponents and then have a little bit of extra gas left in the tank in that fourth quarter. We saw that once again here in this matchup. Yeah, no, I'm a little bit worried about my team I picked out of the East to be in the championship game, and it mainly has to do with this style of play, like you're mentioning. This team, I feel so bad for Marshall fans because you'll have a fantastic and talented roster, but the first halves of watching them play the last two weeks have been extremely frustrating just because their offense has kind of been sleepwalking through these performances. They couldn't buy an explosive play in the run or pass game. They had one touchdown drive. They had a field goal, but then after that, they had a fumble. They had a turnover on downs. They missed a field goal. I mean, this offense looked absolutely stagnant to start off the game. They could not get anything going, and I feel like you have to give kudos to this ECU defense for playing the way they did. They had a bunch of hats to the football. They were playing tight coverage, making things harder for Fancher, who was still efficient. There's not a moment where you watch the Marshall offense play and say it's necessarily bad. It's just boring. It's just physical, and it's not always going to be explosive. But then, of course, even after the rain delay, this team looked a little flat, and then they had an unbelievable trick play touchdown from wide receiver Chuck Montgomery to Caleb McMillian McMillan then their defense has a three and out then Rashi Ali has a 50 yard touchdown run which was like 70 percent of his yards from the day then Micah Abraham gets an interception then they have another Ali touchdown so this team just started going on a run late in this game and it was like oh okay this is the Marshall we're used to seeing but for about two three quarters we didn't see this team so it's a little worrisome for sure but I think just watching how this team is able to finish games they're able to start them like this. They'll obviously be a scarier opponent, but I think they show in small doses, even throughout the season, what they're capable of and why they have those championship goals and aspirations and why I'm picking them as my team to be in the championship this year. Caden, it certainly seems like the formula is get to the fourth quarter and then hand the ball to Rasheen Ali. Three fourth quarter touchdowns on the season so far, two more today. Those three of his five total touchdowns on the season. What makes him such an effective runner once you get late in games? He's a tough guy to tackle. He almost always makes the first guy miss. And that's very cool in the beginning of the game when your defense is swarming to the ball. If you're the first one there, you know, as a defensive player, I'm going to take my shot. I know my guys are coming with me. But then once you get into the third and fourth quarter of games and he's still running with that same intensity and maybe you don't have as much gas in the tank, 
that's when you see him get effective. If you pull up his freshman year tape and he had over 20 touchdowns, you're watching this dude in the red zone get into the end zone. So when this team, when he smells that blow, when he gets close to that end zone or where he gets in that fourth quarter, this dude runs maybe even harder than he did in the beginning of the game and becomes a different kind of weapon. So in the beginning of the game, it's like, okay, you're going to see Rasheen have some plays where maybe he gets some TFLs when people swarm to the ball and get the best of him. But he's always going to have those couple of runs where he tests one guy in your defense one-on-one. And if he makes him miss, it's lights out for the rest of the defense. So he's just a guy that's like a boxer. You get to that third, fourth round, those later rounds, he starts to get some of those knockout punches, some of those body blows start to hit, and then he gets real explosive and real dangerous to close out games. Rasheen Ali currently on pace for 30 regular season touchdowns at this point after five through two games. He's been nasty. Caden, that defense has been nasty as well. They hold East Carolina to just 13 points in this game, 10 of those in the first half. 265 yards of total offense. They got off the field on third down. This defense is going to be a part of that winning formula for Marshall the rest of the way. Yeah, any of my nervousness around this team has nothing to do with the defense. I want to vocalize that. You just have to look at them and say that this is as solid as the defense has come as far as the conference goes. They had a few rough moments that kind of result directly resulted in points in this game. You literally just saw them happen. It was like, okay, they messed up here. That's why they scored. But then the rest of the game, they played absolute rock solid. And I think these guys are a downhill unit in the run game. You're not going to be able to run the ball very much, very well against this team. And they made it very hard for the ECU quarterback all day, whether that was in the run game because they tried to get him going with his legs or in the pass game. They played extremely tight coverage with guys like Micah Abraham coming down with the interception the entire night. You just have to respect this defense, I think, as a whole, because they've. it seems like they've almost accepted that this is part of the formula, too. Despite the offense not playing great in the beginning of this game, they still put their head down. They worked. I know there's times where you're a defense and you feel like you're doing everything in the world and your offense just needs to score a couple points and it can get frustrating. This group did not look frustrated at all. They played fearless. They didn't blink. And I think as far as their success goes this season, I think it's going to be more about this defense than the offense. We're seeing this with a couple of teams as they kind of try to find their identity and formula to win. This team knows their defense is going to take them a long way. So I'm very excited to see just how far they can take them and how much help they can get from this offense moving forward. Well, Marshall's headed into their bye week as they get set for that big home matchup against Virginia Tech coming on the 23rd and what is expected to be a massive crowd in Huntington. So certainly Marshall going to continue to go to work and hope that uh, it continues to translate into wins. Kane, let's move on to our next matchup, and that was the first Sunbelt Conference matchup of the season. It pitted Louisiana versus Old Dominion, and Old Dominion came out on top on this one, Kate, and it was their first win since October 15th of 2022. That was the win over Coastal Carolina. It's been 330 days since their last win. These two teams put up big offensive numbers. Uh, They were tied at the half. We saw 35 points in the second half. Kane, we've got to start this matchup by talking about the play of Grant Wilson. Throws 19 passes, 247 yards in the air, four touchdowns. Also shows off his ability to run, picks up another touchdown there. It feels like Old Dominion might have found their quarterback the rest of the way. Noah, the Monarchs have their quarterback, which is just bad news for the East in the conference and the division of the conference that had all the quarterbacks already and some fantastic guys. Just throw another one in the mix with Grant Wilson. He had an amazing day. I think this is one of my new favorite players in the conference. I thought Ben Wooldridge going into this game would be the X factor and the elevating force, but it turned out it was Grant Wilson who was able to lift his team up and come out on top. You talked about the efficient day he had 13 for 19, 240 yards, four touchdowns. 
also a true dual threat. You mentioned he got one touchdown on the ground after having 81 yards on the ground against Virginia Tech. I think Coach Ronnie, when he was talking to us, tried to downplay his knowledge of the offensive scheme transferring over from Fordham with Kevin Decker, but it really showed in this game. He knew where to take the ball at all times. He was very confident, and that deep ball accuracy is how he had was really separated it for me. His four touchdown passes, all of them were over 30 yards. He was throwing dimes. It's clear he has a lot of trust in his weapons and some wideouts that aren't named Javon, named Javon Harvey, which is huge for this team. Keyshawn Wick's going to be a consistent running back and a force in the run game, it seems like. He had a 100-yard game in this one. I like this offense after seeing it against conference competition. I think last week against Virginia Tech, we saw them maybe be a little bit more handcuffed. Grant Wilson wasn't as comfortable as far as airing the ball out against those defensive backs in that secondary. But when he got into conference play, he clearly was comfortable spreading the love around, throwing deep balls, and really showing his knowledge and comfort in this offensive scheme. So I really am excited to watch them going forward. I kind of get this scheme now that I'm looking at it. It seems like they're going to be able to have their way as far as their numbers in the box, running the ball, and then getting them wide, those wide receivers matched up one-on-one. So I'm actually excited to watch this scheme keep evolving. And if I was an ODU fan, I would maybe drink some of this offensive Kool-Aid as far as what this team can be and what this offense can do with Grant Wilson under center. Yeah, certainly it's a lot of fun, and and fans up in Norfolk will certainly be pleased with that. Caden, on the flip side, we got another great quarterback performance. Ben Wooldridge, you know, throws for 285 yards, two touchdowns, complete 70% of his passes. Also showed off his legs with 49 yards and another touchdown. I feel like the Raging Cajuns have to be pleased with the quarterback play they're getting here early on in the season as well. Yeah, Grant Wilson stole the show, but don't get it twisted. UL looked very great offensively in this game. Woodridge showed why he's the guy with his arm and his legs. He spread the ball around amongst a lot of targets. And I think we talked about what Davis Brim was doing. I would argue, though, but what Woodridge has for his weapons and what he has with his offense and his scheme, I think there's no one really better in the conference as far as spreading the love with his different receivers, tight ends, running backs, and getting everyone involved. And I think as a defensive player playing against that, you don't like playing a num- number one dominant receiver, obviously, who's like a thousand yard guy. But if you have a bunch of other guys and you don't know who to guard and they all have an equal chance of getting the ball, that's huge for an offense. So I think the run game was also effective in this one, despite, despite not having Draylen Washington in this game. You all played winning football and so did their quarterback. They just fell short at the end. ODU's defense stepped up big. But I definitely think there's a lot to be confident about and optimistic about as far as running the ball and what you're getting from Ben Wooldridge if, you if you're a UL fan watching this offense operate. Caden got a great reminder on Twitter from a longtime listener, David Asbury. He wanted to remind us that uh, ODU is actually first in the Sun Belt at this point, just like uh, we all hey. expected, uh, leading the way right now. Caden, what do you think the outlook is for Old Dominion the rest of the year? Is this a team that can make a little bit of noise, maybe more than maybe some people thought? It's very tough when you're talking about the East and making noise. It's just a team. It's a side of the conference where it's tough to make noise. But I think you got to be optimistic from what you saw. UL is a team who had championship pedigree not too long ago. It was very good to secure this win for them. And I think watching their offense more at the peak of their powers, watching their defense maybe even be the unit that has some more pressure on them with Jason Henderson leading them. I think if you're an Old Dominion fan, you should just have realistic expectations. I think it's clear that this team is better than it was last year, just from the singer performance offensively than what you had. So I would be optimistic. I wouldn't be too optimistic. I'm not talking about being in the championship game, but I'm talking about just bridging that gap between some of those close losses you had last year. I think you have a quarterback at the helm and a defensive leader in Jason Henderson that can pull through, especially at home, some big wins. So I think maybe pushing for a bowl game, pushing to win some of those games where the the point spread might be a little bit lower is a good mindset if you're an ODU fan right now. Real quick, Caden, does this represent rock bottom for a Raging Cajuns team that won 10 games in each of the 2019, 2020, and 21 seasons? 
I'd say no. I think this looked like a pretty evenly matched matchup. It was a tug of war game. And I think if you played it 10 times, there's five where Old Dominion wins and five where Louisiana wins. Now, if this team starts losing to Arkansas State and some of the lower teams on their side of the conference that they've normally been dominant against, I'd be a little bit more worried. But taking an L early in the season to a team from the other side of the conference where you watch their scheme week one and it looks completely different and they were actually able to operate at a high level compared to what you got to play. So I think if you're a UL fan, I wouldn't be super worried. I wouldn't say this is rock bottom yet, but I do think there are some question marks on defense that have to be answered. And if you're not able to answer them in some of those West Conference games, then you should maybe have some panic and some worry. Old Dominion welcomes Wake Forest to town, a 2-0 team coming off of a 36-20 win over Vandy this weekend. Uh, Louisiana plays UAB, who's 1-1, coming off of that loss to Georgia Southern. That game will be in Birmingham. Kane, let's move on and talk about the last matchup that we're going to recap in this episode, and that's the Texas State UAB, or UTSA matchup, rather. This game was in front of the second largest crowd in UTSA history. Nearly 50,000 people attended this uh, game. This was a defensive battle between two high-powered offensive teams. TJ Finley was ineffective at times. Frank Harris missed time in this game with injury. Kane, this is a Texas State team that was the darling of the conference a week ago. They beat Baylor. They put themselves in this game against a team that's expected to be one of the best in the American Conference this year. What were your thoughts on Texas State's second game in the G.J. Kinney era? It definitely went the way I thought. I didn't think they would win this game going into it, but I did think they'd be competitive, and I did think they'd cover that point spread. But I love this Texas team. Texas State team, man. You have to give your props, props to UTSA. Frank Harris played this game hurt for the majority of the game, was limping on one leg, but the rest of their team really rallied around him on both sides sides of the ball and rose to the occasion. And it was really amazing to watch, but I think that's just their championship pedigree coming through. But I think as far as this Texas State team goes, their offense had some struggles, but we'll talk about it more later. I'm very impressed with their defense. I'm very impressed with just the individual play of a lot of their players. I think they're playing a lot more hard and inspired than we saw from last year. They have more talent than they had from last year. They have some injuries that are a little bit pressing right now, but I do think overall the temperature in the room for Texas State still has to be nice and hot. I think you have to be feeling good. You're now going to play in next week you know, one of your lesser opponents in your schedule. You've already proven you can hang with just about anyone in the country. So I'm buying the stocks. I'm still loving what I'm seeing from Texas State, just like Appalachian State. You're not happy with the result, but I think we still saw a lot of optimistic things regarding Texas State football this weekend. They definitely have to pay attention to some of the injuries that Texas State has early on in the season. Bo Corrales missed this game for Texas State. Nash Jones exits with an injury. He's a huge piece of that offensive line. So Something to keep an eye on. Caden, you briefly touched on it, the defense. When you look at the numbers, it says, man, this defense isn't great. But as you drill into it, you look at a team that picked up five sacks today, 11 TFLs. Overall, in terms of total yards, you're going to give up a lot because you're on the field. But this defense uh, certainly proved to be pretty elite today. It's all about Ben don't break. No, the fact that this defense only gave up 20 points is amazing in this game against a UTSA team that has a pedigree of scoring a ton of points. Obviously, Frank Harris was hobbled. You want to do a little bit more effective against a hobbled quarterback, but they did a pretty good job protecting him and getting him in situations where he wasn't getting hit. But this defense, man, I think they impressed me more than the offense in this game. That's no secret just looking at the score, but I think legitimately from watching this defense and watching other defenses in the league. They're one of the ones that have definitely improved from last season and definitely think can be in that top half and maybe even top five-ish if they keep playing inspired football and can really dominate in conference play. They play intense. They play fiery. They never flinch. And they have a boatload of standout players. They have some team. They lost some steam at the end of this game. The run game really got to them. And I think the hobble quarterback being effective, like you mentioned, is tough. But I think 
Josh Eaton battling all day at cornerback against Tyke Ogle Kellogg, who's five inches taller than him, was just having a great day in the secondary. Ben Bell had two sacks. He was absolutely electric in this one. He's so fiery just getting to the football. You have a guy in Brian Holloway who had 16 tackles in this game. You have Torrey Spears, who we talked to at Media Days, laying dudes out in the secondary. I think this team has a ton of players on each level of the football that play very well within the scheme and play very inspired and hard-nosed football. And I think that can take this team a long way, especially given their offense. We talk about Georgia Southern. We know what their offense can do. We're worried about their defense. If this Texas State offense can do more of what we saw in week one and this defense continues to show up, show up like this, I think it's going to be one of the more dangerous teams in the conference. Caden, two weeks into the season, I know this is a tough question that's coming, but uh, should Texas State fans expect to see their team in a bowl game this year? I think they should, Noah. I, it might be a little too early on the hype, and I know the West has some top dogs they have to get through, but I do think from what we've seen in the first two weeks of the season, I think they've very clearly bridged the gap between themselves and some of the teams that are maybe in the middle tier of this conference. And I think, like we mentioned before, Georgia, Georgia Southern, having to keep up with this offensive attack is going to be tough. And the fact that they're bringing a defense with it that's playing very good right now, I think everyone in the conference should be on notice. And I know that when they cut the film on and watch Texas State, they have a lot to worry about, a lot to game plan for, more than they ever have in their history, maybe. So very excited about this team. I think a bowl game is very realistic. And I think the Coach Kinney era is still starting off great despite this week two loss. A huge stretch of the season upcoming and Texas State's march towards their first ever bowl game continues this next week. Uh, their home opener, there will be a great crowd there in San Marcos. They're going to be facing a Deion Sanders-less uh, Jackson State team that's 1-1 one one on the season who lost to FAMU uh, in Week 2. So, Caden, big week for the Sun Belt. Just a closing thought on Week 2. It was an electric one. Like I mentioned before in the open, I think so many teams are showing so much talent and all the teams that were already good last season still look good in a lot of those same areas. And a lot of those teams who maybe weren't as good, I think are bridging the gap. So I'm really excited to get into conference play. Very curious to see how some of these non-conference matchups go. But I think as far as this title race on each side, I think it's going to be very close, very competitive. And I don't think there's going to be some team that comes through unscathed. I don't think there's going to be some team with a little amount of losses. I think any team in this conference is getting to the point where they can beat another team. So someone's going to take two, three losses. It's going to be about who won the right games at the right time, I think, and who's going to be best poised when we get to November when the most important football is being played. But right now, the September ball is looking outstanding for this conference. Well, that will do it for our week two recap on the Prairie and Smith podcast, the Sunbelt football season. It is off and rolling. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We're going to be back on Wednesday. We spent a lot of time these first two weeks talking about Texas State. On Wednesday, we'll be releasing our next student-athlete interview featuring a sit-down interview with Texas State quarterback T.J. Finley. He's going to be the first Bobcats athlete to join us on the show. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing. Share this podcast with at least one of your friends Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freary. We really appreciate you spending more time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.